and welcome to the Power in the Key podcast. I'm your host, Neil Winterton, and joining me on the line as he does every week, it's Ben Cad. How are you, Caddy? Oh, I'm not too bad. When I was, to be honest, I am a little bit sore. I was at a, a wedding last night, and I reckon I might have pinged both my calves uh, during the Zorba. So I'm just, um, <laughs> I'm just feeling a bit sore and sorry for myself. But um, I think I'm I sure your head's not in the best space either, to be honest. No, nah, it's, it's generally um, not great on a Sunday at the best of times, but yeah, even more so, uh, more so tonight, but we'll uh, soldier on and um, yeah, I think it was certainly the old man injury um, once again caught up with me. I just didn't think it could happen, um, yeah, dancing in a line at a wedding, but anyway. We'll, uh... <laughs> you do get quite vigorous on the dance floor, so it's probably not all that surprising to be honest. <laughs> All right, so we'll jump into it now, mate. So, uh, yeah, everything is looking well in the NBA at the moment because the New York Knickerbockers uh, have won nine in a row, which is their longest winning streak since 2013, um, um, unbelievably so. They're now 34-27, and which is fourth seed in the East, and Julius Randle has been on fire during this uh, winning streak, uh, averaging 30 points a game, nine rebounds and six six assists, shooting just over three three three-pointers a game. So, Caddy, uh, how... How much should we be considering New York as a legitimate contender in the East, or is just, or is this just a bit of a feel-good story? Oh, look, you're probably thinking it's it's the latter, a feel-good story, and it's great to see that they've been able to, yeah, you know, get on a streak like this and really, you know, get some excitement back into the mecca of basketball that, that's been longing for it for for many many years. So to see them, you know, on a sustained run now, and and really they've been pretty competitive, you know, all throughout the year, and obviously jumped out of the gates pretty well. But then as we kind of expected, they sort of stagnated a little bit through the middle part of the season. But, yeah, they've got on this tear now and they've put themselves in a in a position that's going to be able to certainly look like they're going to finish in the top six, hopefully for them, and, and a guaranteed playoff berth. I mean, it's a big call to see them as a legitimate championship contender um, with, you know, some of the elite teams in the East um, ahead of them, Brooklyn, Philadelphia and Milwaukee to get through. But, you know, they've been able to win some really important games here and, and been able to back it up night in, night out. And as you said, Julius Randle's been the key part of that and his numbers are, have been fantastic, you know, all through the season, but again, through this winning streak. So, uh, look, for me, I still would think they're just behind, or certainly behind those top three, and I'd probably still have a little bit more faith in a Boston or a Miami um, during the playoffs. But, you know, all credit to Tom Thibodeau and, and you know, the front office at New York to be able to that have put together this roster and, and been able to compete really strongly. And the stat that's probably the most surprising for me and the one that's been able to sustain all the way through the, the season is their defence. So they're still uh, currently got the fourth best defensive rating in the NBA, um, which is just incredible, really. And also they're keeping their uh, opponents to um, 104 points a game, which is um, the least amount in the whole NBA. So they've been able to really get that side of the, the game right, and it's um, held them in really good stead here on this run. It certainly has, and it, and it certainly has been a bit of a surprise. Their defense has held up uh, for so long. There was the stats early on in the season; they were getting a bit lucky with their three pointers uh, from the opposition. That the percentage they were shooting was probably not going to hold up, and maybe their defense would drop off. But that that hasn't been the case, and they've got a really nice uptick in offense. So in April, they're actually ninth in offensive rating. So that's obviously coincided with this this really good streak, and they're just getting some really good performances right across the board. Obviously. Julius Randle has been outstanding, as, as we've both mentioned. But Derek Rose, who they, who they acquired in that trade, he's averaging just over 16.5 points a game during this streak. RJ Barrett's really come along. Uh, Reggie Bullock's averaging just over 14 points the last couple of weeks. Taj Gibson's been really good 
uh, on the offensive glass and defensively for them. Same with Nerlens Noel. And they've done done this without Alex Burks, who's missed the last six games as well. And he's, he'd been a really good score, scorer for them right throughout the year. So it's good that, you know, obviously Julius Randle has been the hub of their offense, but they are getting some, some good contributions for, for some other guys as well. As as I said there, they, they are relying heavily on Julius, Julius Randle. They've got the 29th assist rate in the league, which obviously means that if you watch the Knicks, they, they throw it into Randle, jab step, jab step, jab step, and then, and then hits a and then hits a nice sort of mid ranger or a three. He's actually uh, the first player in NBA history to shoot over forty percent from three when his career percentage was under thirty percent. So he he's been absolutely outstanding. How seriously do we look at Julius Randle for one of those All NBA forward spots? So you look at some of the forwards. You got Giannis, Kawhi, and LeBron. A walk-up starts, you'd imagine. Well, you wouldn't imagine. They certainly will be. And then you're looking at guys like Jimmy Butler. You'd think the year he's had, he'd probably get in there. And then you're looking at guys like Zion, Paul George, and Tatum as well. Do you, where do you think Randall fits in that picture? Do you think he's going to be a shot to make one of these All-NBA teams? Or do you think he'll be on the outside looking in? No, I think you know the, the season he's been able to put together, it'd be a, a pretty brave selection to, to leave him out. I know the names that you've mentioned are all highly credentialed and and for the most part have had really good seasons as well. But I, I think it'd be really hard to overlook um, Julius Randle. And you know, I was even having a conversation with my New York Nick fan, younger brother uh, yesterday, and he was even putting in claims as an MVP candidate. So um, <laughs> Turn it up, Caddy. <laughs> so, yeah, mate, I think that was probably a, a stretch too far. But certainly when you're looking at the forward spots for the three teams, well, there's six spots up for grabs and um, – you know, with a guy that's averaging the best part of, you know, 24 points, 10 rebounds, six assists, as you said, shooting the three-pointer at 41%, I, I think he, he's got absolute legitimate claims to, to be in one of those teams. And, um, you know, if the Knicks can, can maintain this form and finish as a top four seed in the East, I think it'd be absolutely well-deserved and due recognition. Yeah, I agree. I, I think he's going to be right there. It might come down to maybe between him Tatum, Zion, um, probably th- those guys there. So he would certainly be deserving of that for the season that he has had. If they do finish, let's say they finish, you know, fourth or fifth, and, and they end up playing either a Boston or maybe even Atlanta. Could you could you see them? It probably looks as if Boston are going to get that fourth seed. Uh, if if they fall into the fifth seed, do you, can you see them challenging Boston? I can't imagine if they drop down to the sixth seed and get a Milwaukee or a Philly. They're going to be out be able to beat one of those teams. But do you think if they did get that fifth seed, there'd be any chance against Boston? I think so, yeah. I think they've got to really be focusing now on, you know, trying to stay in that four or five spot because if they, as you said, if they end up with a matchup even against Atlanta, it could be Boston, potentially Miami if they get on a run. Um, I think they'd have legitimate claims um, to be able to be competitive against um, all of those teams. So they've got 11 games left on the schedule. They've been, um, according to... Uh, the strength of schedule. They've got the fourth hardest street, uh, schedule on the way home. Games coming up, they've got two against Phoenix. They've still got to play the Clippers, Denver, the Lakers, and Boston. So it's a pretty tough run um, over those last 11 games. So I, I don't think we can categorically sort of lock them in, into that four or five when they are only a game and a half clear of six. So I think for them to be able to you know, feel good about progressing into the second round, they need to definitely avoid slipping down to the six, seven, or eight seed. And um, if they do finish fourth or fifth, then I think they'd definitely put a, um, a strong series 
up against um, whether it is a Boston, Miami or Atlanta, absolutely. I mean, you know, just when you look at the New York history really over the last decade or uh, two decades really, I saw some footage of uh, some of the fans streaming out of the stadium the other night and they were yahooing and carrying on and it was, um, you know, yeah, yeah, it was hard not to feel good for them um, considering the, you know, the hardship they've really had to watch over the better part of 20 years and, you know, between the 2000 and 2020, they've had eight front office GMs, they've had 14 head coaches, so it's just been an absolute pit of med- mediocrity, really, or even less than that um, for so for so long. So it's pleasing to see, and they've been able to do it. You know, with the team that when they got put together, um, I think people thought they were just kind of holding fire until you know finally they could land a, an A grade free agent, and, and maybe Julius Randall is that guy that they have been able to sign, um, who's been able to develop and become certainly a, a really legitimate number one option on this team. And 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 full credit to him. Nobody saw this coming, and nobody would have would have thought Julius Randle would have taken this big jump and been an All NBA contender. So full credit to him. What about Coach Tom Thibodeau? He has to be a, a chance for Coach of the Year, doesn't he? You're looking at Quinn Snyder at Utah, maybe Monty Williams at Phoenix as well. But Thibs has to be right in the mix, doesn't he? Oh, for sure. I, I, yeah, I think you know Monty Williams at Phoenix would probably be in the um, you know the prohibitive favourite. I would have thought at this stage. We know Utah's had a great regular season too, but we're probably starting at a, a higher level than where Phoenix had come from, and, and then certainly New York. I mean, um, if you'd said before the season that they'd be aiming to potentially host a, a playoff series um, in the first round, we would, you would have got laughed out of the room. So um, no, Thibodeau was definitely been in contention, and I think, you know, particularly when you look at those defensive numbers, and for him to be able to get this group of guys who are essentially, um, you know, there's a lot of journeymen, there's a lot of veterans on this roster, a lot of the, you know, high-level uh, young talent they had brought in aren't even really getting the opportunities, um, the Frank Nikitilikinas, the Kevin Knoxes, Obi Toppin. Um, so it's not on the back of those guys where this improvement's come. It's really from, you know, the tested and true players, you know, Reggie Bullock, Derek Rose has come in and played well. Um, even Nerlens Noel has given him, you know, some, some good minutes in the centre spot when Mitch Robinson had been, has been injured. So RJ Barrett's continued development, um, you know, obviously pleasing. And then, um, you know, as, we, as, we, as we've mentioned, Julius Randle. So Thibodeau absolutely deserves a lot of credit and will be, I'm sure, in the contenders for that coach of the year. And the commissioner, Adam Silver, will be smiling from ear to ear if, if uh, the Knicks can win a playoff series. Imagine that, that the garden rocking and the NBA is so much bigger and better when the New York Knicks are successful. Now, the other team that are on a bit of a roll at the moment are the Washington Wiz- Wizards, who have won seven in a row, which now takes their record to 26-33, and 33, which is 10th in the, 10th in the East, uh, that last playing spot. So it's really been on the back of their backcourt. Bradley Beal has been outstanding all year. He might be second at the moment. He's scoring him and Steph Curry are really close. And Russell Westbrook, who over the last month has averaged 22.2 points a game, an astonishing 14.4 rebounds and 12.2 assists, shooting 44% from the field. In his last 20 games, he's got 16 triple-doubles. In his last 15, he's got 13 triple-doubles. In his last 10 games, he's got nine triple-doubles. So the numbers he puts up are absolutely astounding. We saw him win an MVP a few years ago where he averaged a triple-double for the year, and he just continues to put up these stats. And some people sort of turn their nose up at the stats that he puts up and thinks that it doesn't contribute to winning. But if it was easy for for guys to average a triple-double, everyone would be doing it, and and nobody else is. So, So what about the Wizards, Caddy, can you see them being a, like a legitimate sort of threat to to these sort of lower seeded uh, teams in the East? Um, oh, probably not for me. I think you know they've certainly put themselves now in that frame for the play in tournament. 
Um, it's hard to see them getting up past, you know, the ninth or, you know, probably past the ninth seed. You know, I, I dare say if they do continue on, they'll probably be in that 10 spot, which means they've got to really um, win their way through in multiple games just in the play-in for the benefit of probably getting knocked out and <laughs> or getting swept against the Brooklyn Nets or the Philadelphia 76ers. But I think when you looked at the start of the year and the moves they made on this roster, particularly bringing Russell Westbrook, Brook into the team, re-signing Davis Bertans. The expectation was that um, this Wizards team should be a, a playoff team. So look, if they can, you know, squeeze their way in now to the, at least the play-in and potentially work their way into the actual playoffs, then I think it, you know, from a Wizards point of view, you'd be you'd have some sort of contentment with that due to you know some of the issues they've had throughout the season with injury and COVID. So. So full credit to them. They, they, you know, I think in, in our first or second or podcast at the start of the year when we we're doing our most disappointing teams, you know, I had the Wizards squarely in the gun at that point, um, just because they hadn't been performing. So to be able to at least turn it around here, seven on the trot at the moment, um, nine of their last ten, and they're now a game and a half clear of the Chicago Bulls, who have slipped down to the the eleventh spot in the East. So look, I don't think they're a going to give anyone um, in that top three any trouble in the first round of the playoffs. But I, I don't think that's really the the point here, I think the fact that they've been able to put themselves in a position to play some playoff basketball, I think it is a success now for the for the Wizards. And you mentioned there that you said you had the Wizards as one of the most disappointing teams early on. I think it was our, our first podcast. And that was basically on the back of, of how poorly Westbrook had started the season, wasn't it? And and as I said, he's really got his, his game going together there. He's almost like a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie for me, Russell Westbrook. He, there's some really good things. Van Damme will do the splits. Westbrook will do a dunk. <laughs> Van Dam will do a spinning roundhouse kick to the head. Westbrook will do one of those really big rebounds in traffic. But then you get the bad acting from Van Dam and the, and the bad turnovers for, for Westbrook. And you enjoy watching a Van Dam movie. I love nothing better than throwing on Bloodsport on a Saturday night, Ben. But uh, uh, And it's the same with a Westbrook game. I love watching that. But you get the feeling at the end of a Westbrook game and at the end of a Van Dam movie, was there much point to that? It was entertaining, but does it actually mean too much? So that's a parallel I'll draw there with Russell Westbrook. But it is good to see some of the other guys stepping up as well. Davis Bertans, who, who signed that big contract in the offseason, he started to get his act together over the last uh, couple of weeks. He's averaging just over 15 points a game, hitting four threes a game, which is which was the reason he got that big contract and had been disappointing up until that point. And Daniel Gafford as well, Caddy, you could probably speak a little bit better than I can about him. They got him from the Chicago Bulls, and since he's joined uh, the Wizards, he's averaging just over 11 points a game and six rebounds and also blocking the two shots, which is an element they didn't have. Um, and they traded him for Mo Wagner and Tony Brown Jr. Now, Wagner Wagner was getting some of that backup centre minutes and, and Gafford's obviously been much better in that role. Did you see this from him at Chicago? Has it been a bit of a surprise how effective he, he has been since he's joined the Wizards? Yeah, I think it has been a surprise. I mean, he was buried um, a little bit down the um, down the depth chart at Chicago, certainly when they were trying to get games into Wendell Carter Jr. in particular. He often only got his opportunities when there was injuries there. Yeah, he just couldn't get any consistent run at it. He also had some injury concerns of his, of his own, but... All credit to him. He's been able to, you know, get traded into here into Washington. They've gone eight and one since he's come across in those first nine games. And as you said, the, the statistics at twelve six, and also the two blocks are, are really given a bit of a lift here to the Wizards. They've been able to now, you know, rotate Robin Lopez, you know, through that center spot as well. You know, they've had those injuries to Rui Hashimura, as um, which hasn't been ideal. So it has opened up some playing time here. Uh, for Gafford, so if, you know if he can continue at least doing what he's doing um, at the moment with those uh, numbers, it does you know give them a bit of um, impact in the middle of in the middle of the key there. So 
And I, as you said, Bertans um, has just been crucial. So his shooting numbers are forty-eight and a half percent from three um, throughout April. And as you, you know, he really needed to deliver on that contract that he signed. And you know, he didn't go to the bubble um, last year to protect you know that contract. And um, you know, he was really disappointing out of the gates at the start. So he's at least been able to get a bit of a run on and um, yeah, power this Washington team you know into a potential playing spot um, for the hope to to get into the first round of the playoffs. So out of the three teams that are basically vying for that last playing spot, uh, the Raptors, the Bulls, and, and obviously now now the Wizards, are they the team for you that, that the other East playoff teams would, would be more scared of out of those three? Or do you reckon it's maybe Toronto just because they've got that, that playoff equity? Uh, look, I, I don't think there'd be any um, team out there that are that worried about Toronto at the moment. They just haven't been able to consistently put anything together throughout the season. And, and as much as you... You look at it on paper, and there's still um, that championship pedigree. Uh, they just haven't been able to to impact any consistent winning at the moment. They've got guys like Ken Birch now playing big minutes in the centre spot. They just can't get any consistency with their lineup. You've got Lowry in and out all the time, the same as OG Ananobi. So, oh, look, I, I don't think Toronto, even if they did slide into that tenth seed, um, I, I, I couldn't see them getting through the play in and, and into um, a playoff matchup. I think if it's Miami. And Charlotte, that are potentially seventh and eighth, I'd still imagine they'd be the two sides that will end up progressing through anyway. So the other news we heard during the week was from one of the other East teams, that's the Brooklyn Nets, and James Harden had a setback with his hamstring injury. The reports are actually suggesting that he might not be right to go before the playoffs. So we've seen now that the, the, the three superstars, Durant, Irving and Harden, have only played the seven games together. They're 5-2 and two in those seven games. But the big question, I suppose, is, is is it concerning that they've only played the seven games together? You, you hear teams say all the time, you need to build that equity with your teammates. Uh, you need to have those battles. You need to be battle-tested. And this is really going to put that theory to the test, isn't it? We, we're going to throw three absolute superstars that we all thought would, would be great together. Obviously, the question mark was about the defense, but th- they've certainly got enough talent to, to go very deep in the playoffs. But I think it's a little bit similar to last year where we saw Paul George and Kawhi Leonard throw together and due to injuries and circumstances and rest, these guys didn't play a lot before the playoffs. And I thought leading into the playoffs that they were the team to beat. And I know a number of other people did as well. But then we, we, we saw them really fall in a hole when they were challenged. So you probably have to wonder in the back of your mind whether that's going to be the case with, with Brooklyn, despite the fact that they've got these three superstars together. Is, is that something for you, Caddy, that you're worried about? Or do you think that basically because Durant's the, the, the best plug-and-play player in the history of the game, he can come into any situation, not take too much off the table and just contribute outstanding offense and really good defense, that, that the Brooklyn will be okay despite the fact that they're probably only going to play seven to nine games together leading into the playoffs? Yeah, look, I'd be more worried. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be worried about it if I knew that they were all fit and if they could just come in, you know, on any given day and play together. First day of the playoffs, I'd have confidence they could still certainly get through and win games. So the issue for me is the injuries, like the fact that they're not fit. So it's not just a matter of them that they haven't played a lot of basketball together. They're going to be asked to do that and come in off extended layoffs or with some real injury concerns across the board. So, you know, this James Harden hamstring. You know, has seen him miss what the last ten to twelve games. Um, he's out indefinitely. We, you know, there's only eleven games left in the schedule. So if he was to come back 
um, you know, even if it was at the start of the playoffs. It's not even about the fact that he hasn't had a lot of game time with Irving and Durant altogether. It's the fact that, you know, his hamstring just might not be that good. The same with Kevin Durant. He's been, you know, obviously missed a big chunk of of basketball um, through the middle of the season. He's been able to come back in, uh, play two games here, then he'll miss one, you know, come in for another one, sit one out. Um, and now he's got this uh, left thigh contusion. So, again, the, the concern for me is not so much that they haven't played um, a lot of basketball together. I, I think they're still good enough and smart enough players to figure that out. It's more the fact that are they actually match-ready, fit to get through a, a seven-game series. How important, then, does the seeding become for Brooklyn? You'd imagine the, the, the number one seed becomes pretty important, doesn't it? Because if you look at the standings at the moment, they are the one seed you know, who knows what's going to happen with the play-in play tournament. Let's just say they end up playing the eighth seed, who at the moment is Charlotte. They drop to the second seed. They get Miami. That's a really difficult matchup. And then in the second round, you're playing you're playing Milwaukee as opposed to if you finish in the, in the, first, uh, the first seed, your second round, you're playing whoever finishes in the fourth seed. So how important do you think that getting that number one seed now becomes for Brooklyn, given the fact that you said there there's going to be some question marks whether these guys are, are going to be 100% fit, certainly initially in the playoffs. And then there might even be times where they have to rest d- during the playoffs. Durant might have to might not be able to play you know, consecutive games or whatever it may be. So how important do you think it is for Brooklyn to now get that number one seed? Oh, hugely important. And they've kind of been given a bit of an opportunity here with um, you know, some of the injuries that Philadelphia have had. So we've had Ben Simmons, Missed the last, uh, what is it, last four games now. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how long he's going to be out of the, out of the lineup. They're on a four-game losing streak. And They've been a bit coy them. with Simmons at the moment, aren't they? Just, they're just saying illness, and nobody know, quite knows what the illness is. It seems unusual to, to miss four games with an illness. But, uh, yeah, it's, I don't know if they're hiding something, but, yeah, to, to have Simmons out for four games with an illness seems unusual. Yeah, absolutely, and frustrating um, for particularly fantasy basketball owners coming into the playoffs. If you're thinking a guy, you know, is only ill and might miss one, but to miss for now four on the trot, they've lost all four of those games. Philadelphia to now drop into the second seed. So the Brooklyn Nets have that opportunity where they still, you know, even if it is just Kyrie Irving out of that big three in the lineup, they're still able to win games. Um, they've won six of their of their last ten to be able to sort of parachute up to the top of the standing so uh, as you mentioned hugely important you know you could get a charlotte in the first round you might be able to you know rest a couple of these guys and if, if the, the schedule gets quite condensed in the playoffs there's every chance you might be able to get a, a four nil sweep early on and then get an extra week off potentially in between the second round so and as you mentioned the, the biggest part of that is that second round matchup if they can avoid um a milwaukee and, and play instead of you know whether it's a boston or an atlanta or someone like that then um I'm sure that's preferable, um, absolutely. So if they can, they've got that opportunity now. They're a game clear of Philadelphia, um, so it's really up to Philadelphia to get their act back together and, and start winning again. So um, it's it's there for the taking. But yeah, you made some good points there about the the importance of certainly trying to get that one seed. So we both had uh, Brooklyn in our Tier One Championship contenders with, with the Lakers. So now with all these injuries and stuff like that, if you were grading your concern for Brooklyn on a scale of 1 to 10, where would that sit for you at the moment? Oh, I'd be probably still in the middle. I think, you know, 5 out of 10 of concern. It's a concern they're just not playing and the indefinite um, status on Harden's hamstring is absolutely concerning because, that you know, any time you use the word indefinite, you don't get given a, a, some sort of guide as to whether it's 1 to 2 weeks or 7 to 10 days. 
often the indefinite could just keep keep rolling rolling through there. So if it's a really significant hamstring, um, and we know you know Harden didn't come into the season in the best of condition, it's going to be hard for him to to sort of regain absolute top fitness to get through. Not just the East, but you know you're going to have to get through obviously a championship series as well against you know what's going to be a really strong team from the West. So he needs to really try and get back, and if they can sort of limp through the first first or even second round of the playoffs and at least get all these guys back in some sort of condition for the Eastern Conference Finals, you know there's still an absolute legitimate chance to win it. But you now the clock's ticking, um, the season's getting to, towards the climax, and they really need to get these bodies back on the court. Yeah, I've probably got it around about a six, six and a half. I think it's just based around the fact that what happened with the Clippers and we all thought it'd, it'd be sweet when they got into the playoffs and, and it just didn't happen. So maybe what everybody talks about, getting that, that equity w- with your teammates, is something that, that really matters. And you look at some of the other teams that, that, that you'd imagine are going to go deep into the playoffs. Philly have been together for, for quite a few playoff rounds. Obviously, Milwaukee have as well. Utah had last year where they, where they lost on that last second shot to Conley. So they've been through some heartache. The Clippers, obviously, last year they went through it. So they've been battle-tested. The Lakers have won a title, obviously, last year. Um, it, it's really only Phoenix, uh, that one of the other top teams that haven't been through that. So that, that that's my concern. And obviously, coupled with the fact that these guys just haven't been able to stay healthy. More so Durant. Harden had been very durable throughout his career up until this last injury. But you do have to have some question marks on him now. I don't know if you saw some vision of him on the sidelines against Miami the other day. He he certainly hasn't lost any weight. So it's 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 going to be a big question mark, a guy coming in who is certainly carrying some extra conditioning and coming off a hamstring injury you know, where he's going to miss four or five weeks of basketball, you're obviously more likely to, to re-injure that uh, injury in the early part of your comeback. So I certainly got some concern there that I didn't have a few weeks ago based upon the fact that, that these injuries are starting to pile up and they're just not going to get much continuity together leading into the playoffs. So we'll shift over to the West now. And we spoke a couple of weeks ago about out of the Spurs or the Warriors, which team did we think was the most likely to drop out of that play-in tournament? And we both selected the Spurs. But since then, uh, we've seen the Pelicans, who we thought the team uh, might push up. They just haven't been able to get their act together. So the Spurs beat the Pelicans today in a close one, 110 to 108, to take their record to 30-29. and 29. So they're now the ninth seed. And Golden State are 30 and 30, which is the 10th seed. And the Pelicans are now four games behind at 26 and 34. So you'd imagine it's going to be pretty difficult for the Pelicans to make that ground up uh, over the remaining schedule. So it looks like that the top 10 uh, is set at the moment. So which of those four playing teams for you, Caddy, can make some noise out of Portland? Who are on a, who are on a bit of a skid at the moment? They're one and five in their last six games, and they've lost some really close games. Their last five losses have come by one point. Eight points, one point, one point, and two points. Now, Dame has missed two of those games there, but losing some of those really close ones has killed them. We also got Memphis, and we saw uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. finally come back and play. He's played the last two games, actually being quite effective in scoring 15 and 23 points in very limited minutes. They're going to rest him tomorrow just to make sure that he's that he's uh, right for the playoffs. And we've also got the Spurs and the Golden State Warriors. So out of those four teams there, Caddy, which of those four teams do you think can make, any, if any, can make any noise uh, in the West playoffs? Yeah, I think your point, if any, is, is probably the most accurate. I, I don't think any of these four sides have really probably even a chance to get through the first round. If anyone, you know, I'd probably have the most confidence potentially in Memphis. I think, you know, they've probably been, you know, although their records are all quite similar, I think they've just been more steady and more consistent uh, throughout the season. They're less reliant on, 
know, a, a one player, say, like the Golden State Warriors are with Curry. You know, if Curry was to miss potentially any of these games um, down the stretch or in, into the play-in or playoffs, then, you know, they, the Warriors just can't win at all. So, where I think, you know, Memphis have been able to, to carry injuries throughout the year. They were certainly um, really heavily found out with the, the COVID stuff at the start of the season. They were able to weather that storm pretty well. So I think they've just got a more, you know, a more rounded team. They're, as I said, less reliant on any one or two players. Obviously, they do have some stars within that team, but they, they do bat pretty deep. And the fact that now Jaron Jackson is back and available and playing um, just gives them, you know, even more cover on the roster. So, look, I, I think I'd be surprised if Memphis don't win their way through into the first round of the playoffs. And then, you know, if they're going to play either Utah, Phoenix, or even the Clippers, then, you know, I, I don't have a lot of uh, confidence that they'd be able to, you know, make any noise there in a first-round series. But of those four teams currently uh, jockeying in the 7-10 to 10 spot, I think Memphis, for me, would be the most chance of probably winning a playoff series potentially. And you'd imagine at one of the t- – they're going to play the Utah or Phoenix. You, you think that they'd be more comfortable playing Phoenix, wouldn't you, given the fact that – Utah, as I said, that, that they've got some equity together in last year's playoffs, that they've been the best team in the NBA right through the season. So let, let's say it is Memphis who get that seventh seed, that they beat Portland in that first playing game and, and, and win the seventh seed. Could you see Memphis upsetting uh, Phoenix in, in that scenario? Oh, I think it'd be a big, uh, it would be a big upset. But, uh, you know, as you said, I don't think Memphis would go in feeling overly intimidated having to play against Phoenix. You know, Phoenix don't have... You know the playoff chops really either that Memphis don't, but I just think Memphis, uh, sorry Phoenix have clearly had a, a, a much better season, and they've got you know Devin Booker, Chris Paul, Aiton. There's just um, you know more top end talent I think at this stage for them to be troubled really by Memphis. I mean even for Phoenix at the moment they've got to be you know a little bit careful when they're looking over their sh- over their shoulder with the LA Clippers now on a bit of a charge. They've won four in a row. Um, they're only half a game behind uh, Phoenix into that second seed. So. Look, I, I could certainly see a world where the, the Clippers are able to jump Phoenix and, and, and who knows, even challenge Utah for potentially the one or definitely the second seed um, in the West. So they're the ones I'm keeping my eye, eye on at the moment who, who've sort of really been able to get their act together the last couple of weeks here. So let's say it is Memphis to get that first playing spot. Out, out of the remaining three, Portland, San Antonio, Golden State, who do you think is likely to grab that last that last spot, the eighth seed? Do you think it's it's still Portland, despite the fact they seem to be on a little bit of a slide? They've now got Lillard back. He played the last game, um, and he and he seems to be okay. Or do you think, given the way the it's, you know how hot Steph's been, do you think the Warriors or, or perhaps even the Spurs could challenge Portland for that for that last spot there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, certainly the advantage is, is in those teams that are going to finish seventh or eighth. They essentially or effectively get the double chance, whereas the teams nine and ten are going to have to, you know, they can't make a mistake really. So, you know, you, you still think Portland are in a in a slightly better position. Although, you know, as, as we've been saying all along, if the Warriors can can get into any sort of knockout game, then you know they, they're going to give themselves every chance that Curry can can take them over the line and. Um, that, that's why I think when you talk about the playing tournament, you have to look at it being a successful um, initiative because it, it ha- it's going to give us the opportunity now to potentially see Curry play in, in a meaningful game uh, this season, whereas you know if, if, if things were finished as, as they are at the moment, then you wouldn't be playing any playoff basketball at all. I think the NBA, the only disappointment they'd have at the moment with it is just the fact that the Pelicans and the Kings here that haven't been able to um, stay competitive and, and try and really push into the 10th spot um, with still, you know, 12, 12 games to go. It's sort of pretty much, as you mentioned, the the 10's probably done. 
And, um, you know, those those teams are now going to be looking towards next year and trying to jockey for a better uh, lottery position, which is probably what they were trying to avoid. So the fact that it really looks like it's over uh, this far out would probably be the only disappointment um, for the league front office. Yeah, they would be disappointed, but I totally agree. You, you look at the playing tournament now, we're going to get Dame Lillard, Ja Morant and Steph Curry playing in, in knockout knockout style games. So, yeah, if you could substitute Zion in there for the Spurs, I know the, the Spurs fans won't like that, but they are a little bit boring as they have been for a number of years. But it's that would have been the dream scenario, wouldn't have it? Dame Lillard, Ja Morant, Zion Williamson and Steph Curry all playing for the right to, to make it in the playoffs. So, yeah, you've got to tip your cap to the NBA for having this, this initiative, despite the fact that it does look like that the West is probably wrapped up at the moment. Now, we saw during the week uh, some more injuries. It seems like every other day we're getting a big name get injured and, and it's having a, a massive effect on the standings and some of these teams leading into the playoffs. So we'll, ju- we'll just chat about a couple of the injuries that we saw during the week. Uh, the first one is Trey Young, and he was diagnosed with a grade two ankle sprain. Now, the, the average time missed for that particular injury this season has been 18 uh, days, which would equate to eight games for, for Atlanta. So that's obviously a really... A really big loss for, for the Atlanta Hawks. And if you if you look at the, the eight games that they've got coming up, they've got Milwaukee, Detroit, Philadelphia twice, Chicago, Portland, and Phoenix. So it's it's not a really easy run. Um, uh, Miami are pretty close to them in the standings at the moment. And now Miami's next eight games are Chicago, uh, the Spurs, Cleveland, Charlotte, Dallas, Minnesota, and Boston. So it's probably just slightly easier. Now, they've got the one-and-a-half game buffer on Miami at the moment, but how significant do you think this injury is going to be uh, for Atlanta? Do you think they are a chance at losing that fifth seed and dropping down, or do you think they've got enough enough coverage at the moment? Bogdanovich has been really good for them over the last month since he's been able to get some continuities up to 20 points a game and four assists, shooting just under 50% from the field over the last month, so he can sort of fill in for Trey Young. So do you think they've got enough coverage for him or do you think they are in danger of losing that fifth seed to, to Miami? Yeah, they're in, in, in a lot of danger, really, because it's on the back of, obviously, other injuries that some of their really exciting young players. So we haven't seen Cam Reddish for ages. DeAndre Hunter hasn't returned since the start of the season and now it's Trey Young. So, as you said, John Collins is back into the lineup, which is helpful. But, you know, thank God that they were able to add some veteran help um, in the off-season with guys like Bogdanovich and um, Gallinari. So they've been able to at least, you know, you know they're not, it's not going to be a free-for-all. But any time you lead, um, lose your best player, it's going to be significant, and particularly for the Atlanta Hawks here, who are really going to have to hang on for dear life, really, with teams like Boston and Miami chomping at their heels. So, um, look, I think they're in, in significant danger of, of, you know, dropping from the five seed. You know, the worst result for them is going all the way down to the seventh spot and then being in danger of not even making the playoffs altogether. So. You know, if, as you said, he misses up to eight games and they really need to at least go 500 through that period, um, they're off to a good start at least yesterday beating Miami. But, you know, I think, firstly, they'd be probably relieved that the injury isn't a season-ending one, but albeit, you know, they, they need to, you know, try and find some answers here over the next couple of weeks without Trey Young and, and hopefully for their sake they can they can hang in a bit longer. And it's huge, isn't it, dropping out of that fifth seed because you, you go from facing maybe a Boston or a New York or whoever it may be who finishes in that fourth seed who, who haven't been great all year, all of a sudden you get to the sixth seed, you're playing either Milwaukee or Philadelphia, which is a totally different proposition. So if, how serious should we be talking about Atlanta? They've obviously been much better since they made the coaching change and brought Nate McMillan in. 
you know, Trey Young's had a really good season. Clint Capella's been absolutely outstanding for them in the middle. And, you know, you mentioned the fact that they brought in some of this veteran leadership. I said Bogdanovich just started to get his game going. You know, they have missed Hunter since he's been out with injury. But how serious uh, do, do you think we need to take Atlanta? Do, do you think they need to finish in that fifth seed to make any noise in the playoffs? Or do you think if they drop down in that sixth seed, they're basically just cannon fodder for whether it be Philly or Milwaukee? Yeah, I think they're in a similar boat as we spoke about with the Knicks. You know, they the opportunity is there for them to to finish fourth or fifth and uh, potentially play either the Knicks or the Celtics or someone like that in that first round, which is certainly uh, much more appetising, I'm sure, for them. Yeah, any any of these teams that are going to finish six, seven, or eight, I, I think are at the mercy of um, you know just about getting swept in the first round of the playoffs, and, it, and it'll be all over pretty quickly for them. So that's why they've got to dig deep here without Trey Young, and I, I think they're going to find it difficult to be able to sustain a spot here at least in the five seed and you know as I said the real danger is that they slide all the way down to seventh and then don't even progress through to the first round um, that'd be a, certainly a, a disastrous um, outcome for them. So the four teams that are grouped really close together the Knicks, Atlanta, uh, Boston and Miami all, all relatively close to each other they're, they're going to have the pedal to the medal to the end of the season aren't they because you're going to want to get that fourth or fifth seed to avoid those top three teams how, how do you see that those four sort of shaking out caddy which order do you think they're going to ultimately finish in uh, i'd have confidence that boston will still get up to the fourth seed um looking again looking at strength and schedule they've got the fourth easiest run home in the entire nba so that that gives them an opportunity you know they're only what are they a game and a half behind the Knicks, who yes are on a on an incredible win streak, but you'd think that'll have to slow at some point. So I'd, I'd have Boston still being able to get all the way up to the four seed. Um, then I'd probably have New York being able to stay fifth, and then I'd say Miami um, should be able to get up to um, six. And it could be the Hawks that um, with this Trey Young injury that that dropped down to the seventh, and then you know they're they're the ones in that precarious position that they're going to have to win their way through to basically have the rights to get swept by, you know, the Bucks or the Sixers or someone like that. So missing out in that four or five is going to be really, really tough. But I think Boston have, you know, at least over the last um, three or four weeks shown that they are capable of, of putting some winning games together and, and, you know, just a game and a half out of the four, I think, you know, with the schedule that they do have remaining, they should be able to move their way up and, and finish fourth. Yeah, I actually totally agree with with the the order that you had him there. It's going it's going to be interesting. Miami are the interesting team, and I am a Heat supporter, as you know. That they just haven't been able to get any continuity. Every game, it feels like the significant player is missing. But if they do end up in that sixth seed and they play Milwaukee in that first round, isn't that a tantalising first round matchup? Given that you know Miami knocked. Milwaukee out uh, in the second round last year, a huge amount of pressure would go on to Giannis and, and obviously his teammates as well to to not have a repeat of that happen. I could imagine Jimmy Butler really rising to the occasion. So I actually hope that that, that does happen and, and, and we see that first round matchup because that would be a first round matchup for the ages, I would imagine. Now, the other significant injury we saw happen was, was to Will Barton who strained his right hamstring in the first minute of the game uh, a couple of days ago, which... I find extraordinary if somebody does a does a hamstring in the first minute of the game, they must have gone into the game under some sort of question mark. There had to be some sort of sign for you to to strain a hamstring in your first minute. But anyway, it's said to be a pretty significant injury, and it's and it was uh, came out today that he actually might miss uh, right up until the playoffs. So we spoke about last week. I think it was last week that uh, that they had just uh, lost Jamal Murray for, for the remainder of the season. They'd actually won four in a row since, since uh, losing to Golden State in that game. 
So, so this injury that, that that has come up to Barton really leaves them shorthanded, doesn't it? Now they're thirty nine and twenty one after an easy win against Houston today. They've got a four game lead over the Lakers for that fourth seed. So you'd imagine they're still going to hold on to that fourth seed despite the fact that they they have lost Will Barton until potentially the playoffs. They're going to rely a lot heavily on on P, PJ Dozier who had a career high twenty three points today and Campazzo who had a career-high 13 assists today. Bear in mind that these stats are going to be inflated playing against the Houston team that are playing lip service to winning basketball at the moment. They've, they've rested all their, their decent players and will probably do so for the remainder of the season to improve their lottery odds. So given that Barton's going to miss until potentially the playoffs and how shorthanded they, they are already uh, in that backcourt, Caddy, is this just a, a, the death blow for them? They're probably going to play the Lakers in the first round. They might be going with a Will Barton who's underdone. Would this basically just write them out of having any chance whatsoever of an upset against the Lakers? Yeah, look, I think we spoke about it the other week with the Murray injury, and I thought at that stage it was a death knell anyway once Murray went out. and You know, we we're going to be asking a lot of guys like Will Barton and Dozier and Monte Morris, who, funny, not funny enough, he kind of got the, got the opportunities initially with Murray out, and then he got did a hamstring as well. So he's missed the last four games. Uh, on the on the trot here uh, as well, so not having much luck, are they? Not at all, and I think you know they, they're a team that's going to need everything um, going for them, even just at the end of this regular season. I think they've got enough uh, of a gap to to not certainly not miss the fourth or fifth seed at the very least. But you know they're going to be coming up, we think, against the LA Lakers, and you know whether Barton does come back or not, I think they're still in significant trouble, and the fact that. Barton told his coach um, after the game that he felt something pop in his hamstring. I don't think it's a, a great a great sign that he could even be back ready for the playoffs because um, yeah, if that's a you know three to four week hamstring injury, then you know he's going to probably miss that first first round anyway. So look, I think unfortunately for the Nuggets, um, things just haven't been going well for them here over the last fortnight, and it's it's just piling up. And I think they're a pretty easy first round out. Yeah, I feel really sorry for them because they, they were looking up. They made that that trade. They they pushed the chips in, so to speak. Got Aaron Gordon across. Things were going swimmingly. You know, they've had a fantastic season from Nikola Jokic, and now they've had a significant injury, a couple of significant injuries in the last two weeks. That I agree, it's basically ruled them out, and they'll probably only a five percent chance of that of being able to upset the Lakers. We're assuming the Lakers are going to be full strength, but now it's basically gone. And certainly, if Barton's going to miss that series, no chance. But he's certainly going to be underdone anyway, which will make their task really difficult. Now, we do like to acknowledge uh, the Aussie players on this podcast, Caddy, when they're playing well, and Joe Ingles has certainly been doing that of late. If we if we ignore his game today in the surprising loss that they had to Minnesota, where he did stink it up quite a bit, but before that, he'd been outstanding in in his previous game. So. His last few games have been 20 points and six assists with five three-pointers, 18 points and six assists with three three-pointers, 11 points, three assists with three three-pointers, uh, 20 points, 14 assists, 14 assists, which is outstanding, and six three-pointers, 21 points and five assists with five threes, and 21 points and four assists with six three-pointers. So he's shooting the three ball unbelievably well, also contributing, obviously, uh, with the assists there. 
He's still he's still on uh, record to have the most effective, the best effective field goal percentage in the history of the NBA, which still boggles my mind. How impressive has Joe Ingles been? Did, did I think we've spoken about him before, and I'd never ever saw this coming in his career. But for, and you sort of, I've sort of just been waiting for that bubble to burst a little bit, if I'm being honest. But he's been outstanding for a team that's the best team in the NBA, and he just continues to contribute for them, doesn't he? Absolutely, and he's such an important part of, of what they do, and um, particularly now with Donovan Mitchell, you know, missing games at the moment. So, no, he, he's so important to Utah, and um, you know, he's been able to repay time and time again and over and over the, the faith that they put into him those years ago when he when he came, you know, obviously was cut from the training squad at the Clippers and was just about to pack well packed his bags and was heading heading either over to Europe or back to Australia, and the call up came and. I, I, uh, there's just no way in the world I, that I'm sure even Utah could look you firmly in the face and say that they expected this type of output from from Joe Ingles, who you know year on you know year in year out since he's been with them has been um absolutely not not just serviceable he's been absolutely elite and um this you know the scoring um or the shooting numbers that you, you described earlier is just absolutely incredible that he's going to be held in, in you know in that type of esteem and it's not like he's just shooting close to the ring all the time or um, you know, unlimited field goal attempts. He, you know, the majority of his shooting is from outside the arc. You know, just his ability to set the the play up for almost as a, a pseudo point guard for them is um is incredible. He's got such a great connection with both uh, Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors, and you know, some of those assist numbers speak for themselves. So, no, couldn't be any more impressed with Ingles. And I think, really, you know, as we as we kind of project out a little bit further towards hopefully the Olympics going ahead um, in the middle of this year, then you know, I think that's the final. Thing for for Ingles and you know and, and guys like Paddy Mills as well who have had now had such significantly um, incredible NBA careers is really to be able to um, now try and bring home a, an Olympic medal. I think if he's able to do that, in addition to you know what he's been able to do in the NBA, he's going to certainly go down in the top handful of um, Australian basketball has ever ever produced. And we know how passionate he and Paddy Mills are about representing the Boomers, and 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 it certainly looks like this could be. The be- the best uh, case for the for the boomers to win that, that elusive medal, um, and and we got to keep our fingers crossed that hopefully Utah don't make a deep run because I think the Olympics are very uh, soon after the NBA finals. A question without notice, and, and you mentioned there that he's going to go down as as one of the best uh, Australian NBA players. Where, where would he rank for you? In the pantheon of Australian NBA players, you've got Ben Simmons probably sits atop of that, despite the fact he's never won a title. He's obviously made a few All Star teams, and then you're looking at you know a Bogut, a Longley, and a Paddy Mills. Where does he sit for you? Does he sit in front of Paddy Mills and and sort of behind Longley, or what do you reckon? I'd probably have him. Yeah, I'd probably have him fourth at the moment. I think yeah, in terms of absolute talent, it's hard to go past Ben Simmons. I think he's going to go down as definitely the best Australian NBA player. I think, you know, guys like Mills and Ingles have probably had better careers overall, I suppose, being Simmons is so young. But the fact he's already made all-star games and, and you know, he's leading, hopefully, um, Philadelphia to a to a prolonged successful run here in the playoffs this year and, and in the future, he'll definitely be the, the best Australian NBA player, you know, over the next, you know, until someone goes past him. But I'd probably have Andrew Bogut second. I think what he was able to do as the number one draft pick Back in 2004, it was um, you know a really significant NBA career. It was a really important part of you know that Warriors rebuild and and when that trade happened, when Monte Ellis got traded for Bogut, that's really sort of had a, a dynamic shift into the way that team played and and it allowed guys like 
Thompson and Curry to, you know, to be able to be so offensively minded because of the defense that Bogut was able to bring in. And then, and he I had to, Paddy sorry to cut you off, he had to modify his game too, didn't he? Because he was on his way to being a multi-time all-star, I reckon, until he had that gruesome injury when it, when he fell down after that dunk and broke his uh, elbow or his arm, I think it was, and he, he could hardly shoot free throws after that. And he, he was he basically just became a, lo- a really good defender, and, and you spoke about there how important he was uh, as a passer and defender for, for that brilliant Golden State team. But he was a really good offensive player until he had that injury, and it really sapped him of some of his offensive abilities. So he was a, an outstanding player, and we, and we unfortunately never got to see the best of him after that injury. Yeah, well, he was the, the season before he, it was his best season. He, he, he was he, he made the All NBA third team, um, all, and I think he might have even made the All NBA defensive team as well. So, yeah, his credentials speaks for themselves, and the championship goes with that. And the same for Paddy Mills. I think I'd have him just slightly ahead of Joe Ingles as well. The the role he played in that Spurs championship run was was really crucial, and he was still a reasonably young player at that time, and you know just fitted in perfectly perfectly to the system the Spurs were playing, and his three point shooting was was so important for them. So I'd probably have Ingles then next and just ahead of Luke Longley, who I'd probably have as the fifth most in, oh, the fifth best NBA Australian player. Yeah, Longley's, Longley's a hard one to judge, isn't he? Because he obviously played in you know, three of the titles, I think it was, in the end, but obviously was just more more of a, of a solid role player, wasn't he? And You'd, you'd say Mills and, and Joe Ingles have had a certainly a more you know, contributing uh, career that, than he did. So, yeah, it's great at the moment how many Aussies are playing in the NBA. And, you know, as I said, it's, it's going to be our best chance to finally get that elusive medal. So we'll call the show there. As I say every week, thank you to everybody who continues to download this. If you haven't as yet, please jump on Apple Podcasts and and give us a five-star rating. And if you can just sort of share, continue to share this podcast via word of mouth or we've got that Facebook page up now. And if you could jump on that and like that and we'll uh, the episodes do get uh, posted there every week. So once again, thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next week.